0: Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, Chicx are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or out a blanket, so you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And Chicx bedding looks as good as it feels, colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try Chicx for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com.
1: This is hour number two for the World According to Zig podcast for this August 26th, 2018. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of the show where you can still get the truth about the news of the week, the month, whatever it happens to be from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Hour number two is generally our interview hour and this edition of the podcast is no exception. We are really excited about the interview that I recorded two days ago. And it's important to point out that it was recorded two days ago. uh, This being Sunday, August 26th. I did this interview with Rick Wilson, the Republican uh, strategist who's out with a new book called Everything Trump Touches Dies. We did this interview in uh, a Beverly Hills hotel. He was in town as part of his uh, book tour. And this was done on Friday. And it was done just after the news that uh, John McCain had announced that he was stopping medical treatment. Of course, um, while we, we knew that uh, it was not looking good for John McCain, we did not know at the time that John McCain would pass between the time that we did the interview and the time that it would be publicly disseminated. Uh, that seems pretty clear uh, when we delve into that discussion Uh, during the interview, but I just wanted to make sure that that was clarified at the top. But I think you're going to find this interview to be really uh, interesting and very, very important. Uh, We go through some of the same topics that I discuss in hour number one in the news hour, but uh, from a slightly different perspective. And so without further ado, sit back and enjoy this conversation between me and Rick Wilson. This was done uh, Friday in Beverly Hills. Here with uh, Rick Wilson, the author of the new book, Everything Trump Touches Dies. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, John. Actually, welcome back to the podcast. Um, So much to talk about, uh, both in the news and with regard to your book. Why don't you give us, uh, the title says a lot, but why don't you give us a synopsis of the book
2: and why you wrote it? Well, I wrote the book because I saw that the Republican Party and the conservative movement had been hijacked by Donald Trump starting in 2016. And it was, it was a, it started out a little bit as catharsis and it ends up a little bit as a prescription for how we get out of this era where, you know, the Republican party has been rebranded as Donald Trump's party. It's become statist. It's become authoritarian curious. um, It's expanding the size of government. It's, it's blowing debt and deficits out of all proportion. And I looked at this as a moment where it was necessary for somebody, you know, not just with my 30 years of, of service to the party and my track record of, of electing Republicans and conservatives all over the country, um, but somebody was also going to do it without like running to the fainting couch. I mean, I wrote this book like having a conversation with me. People who know me know that you know my voice and my and the, the sharpness of, of conversations with me you know do include the word "fuck" occasionally, <laughs> and uh, and so I, I use this as a sort of. Uh, uh, way to communicate with people that wasn't an academic tome. It wasn't something dull and dry and boring. It was as, as hard-edged as it could be. And, uh, and the reception has been incredibly uh, surprising and overwhelming. I, I, the, 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 the fact that it went to the number one in the New York Times bestseller on the big list of, of hardcover e-books uh, just delighted me. The fact that it was number three in the nation overall in hardcovers was, uh, was a real thrill. I just I, I, this has been a great experience. Why do you think that it's been so popular so far? Well, I think it addresses two big audiences. The first audience is there are a lot of folks in this country who are just who are just sh- shocked by the way that Donald Trump has sort of burned down all the norms and institutions around us, and that and those, those folks are Republicans and Democrats. There 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 are a lot of people that reached out to me after the book came out that blew me away. I had I had a total of six members of Congress. Send me a note. Two of whom I knew; the rest I didn't. Saying, you know, "Thank God somebody had it, somebody said it." Um, were these I, Republicans? Those are Republicans. Okay. Um, and, and a lot of Democrats have been looking for a more articulate way. There's a lot of Democrats. They hate Trump. They're angry at Trump. But we're we're angry for different reasons and for different stakes. I mean, there, there's not one bit of me that's moved to the left in this in this fight, but. The rest of the party has suddenly become very willing to accept, you know, everything Donald Trump says at face value and redefine all their priors and all their predicates from the past. And I'm just, I'm just not that guy.
1: Obviously, you haven't been hurt by the news cycle with regard
2: to your book. No, no, I haven't. The hardest part, John, of writing this book was stopping the writing process of this book. <laughs> I was bugging my editors till the last possible minute, um, and I kept, you know, once I turned in the draft and the. Yeah, middle of April, uh, I kept saying, oh, "One more thing! I got one more thing!" I mean, we got to put this, in. and they finally said, "Listen, the printing presses are rolling at a certain point. So whatever we're going to do, we got to do." And we, we 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 closed off the we closed it off very very late in the process. There were there were things being added to this book in the last possible minutes before production started. So it's kind of a thrilling uh, process. But, you know, Donald Trump writes my sequel every day, as I like to say.
1: Well, but specifically with regard to your title. I mean, when you know, everything Trump touches dies. Uh, this week we have Paul Manafort being convicted and Michael Cohen pleading guilty. Obviously, these are two people that he has touched and they appear to be almost literally dying. Uh, maybe not literally, but well, certainly look, figuratively.
2: And, and today you have his CFO of his company turning state's evidence. You have the North Korea deal as everyone with a, with a brain predicted falling apart, um, this, is, this is an unsuccessful presidency. He's successful at being the center of the news cycle. That's his superpower. Why does everything that Trump touches die? Well, there's two big reasons. The first is that Donald Trump isn't about anyone else or anything else. He is about himself, his ego, his money, his position, um, and, and of being the, again the center of the public eye, and in that regard, everything else is a sacrificial anode to that everything else is he, he'll burn down anything else to get a good news cycle he'll screw over anybody to make a dollar and so when you're a leader who doesn't care about anyone or anything else around you the the body count is going to add up politically and spiritually and financially. E- Everyone who went into the White House who was a grown-up, who thought, oh, I'm going to steer the ship from behind the curtain. I'm going to help make things even out. I'm going to prevent this from becoming a giant shit show. Those people, the ones that are still there, are so suffering from post-Trump stress disorder that you know they've got a thousand yards. So you look at John Kelly. The guy's like, like looks like a hostage somewhere. Um, and a lot of the other folks that have come and gone now you know, the Gary Cohens and the Prices and the, and the Tillersons. All these people came in with experience and knowledge and smarts, and they came out beaten down to a bloody pulp. Well, they're dealing with a toddler. Well, right. they're, dealing with, they're dealing with a man who... who and I, I, I say this in the book very tongue-in-cheek, and I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or a trained medical professional, but I've been around goddamn crazy people in my life to know I'm seeing a crazy person. And Donald Trump is not well. He's not a well man. There are things wrong with him. Um, and it, it, he expresses it every day. I mean, it, it's perfectly normal for a president to sit up at 1. 30 in the morning and rage tweet in all caps. That makes perfect, <laughs> I mean, nothing, 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 nothing screams out normal like that.
1: No, and nothing screams out innocent like that. Yeah, know? right. Um, now, one of the reasons the title of your book resonated with me is because I have, uh, <clears throat> I've been following Trump for a very, very sure. long time. Sure. Uh, my father actually did some business with him and despises the guy uh, I mean, back into the 80s. And I was a big fan of the USFL Football League. Sure. And, and to me, one of the most underrated issues that never became a, a big topic in the campaigns was what he did to the USFL, especially in light of what I believe to be today. I think his NFL National Anthem obsession is still driven by this grudge that began I back then.
2: I could not agree more. I think he absolutely is playing out some very old beefs in that. And uh, there's a great new book out and I'm so sorry the guy, I've, I've talked to him, he's a, the, about the USFL and about Trump's role in it and and it's just chapter and verse on how he is a singularly destructive force. And look, this is a guy who went bankrupt four times. Doing the one business that is literally, scientifically designed to take money from stupid people. How you go bankrupt in the casino business is beyond logic and reason. But he did. His real estate empire is a branding empire. He doesn't really build things. and hasn't for 20 years. Nobody will loan him money anymore. Except banks tied to the Russians and, and, and floating on a sea of, of, of Russian oligarch money. And so, all these things with Trump's image really get to the nut of why nothing works. Because people bought the TV character he played on The Apprentice for 15 years. They saw in The Apprentice a man who was smart, worldly, great negotiator, knew everybody, always success, everything, he's, everything he gets involved with makes money, turns to gold, but it, like a lot of reality television, was a lie. It's this contrived and phony as, you know, big haired women flipping tables over and having cat fights. It's the same kind of BS that, that people have believed for a long time. Um, people believed for a long time and, 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 and for no good reason. And in Trump's case, it took him to the presidency.
1: Uh, let's talk about the politics of it. That's a great segue because obviously how this man became president and what he's done as president are the, are the essence of, of what most people are concerned about and, and politics is where you've you've made your business for many, many years. Many years. I, um, I, I'll never get over the, the primary process uh, and how this happened. There's a million different reasons why it did and why he wasn't stopped. I, I personally believe that the The breaking of the business model of the conservative media was a major role in this that he sure. that he filled a void that they desperately needed at a mm-hmm. time period where they were in desperate need of both content and ratings he provided it it was a it basically became a a, a fire that got out of control i think a lot of the conservative media people probably thought at the beginning this will be fun uh, and then it became far more serious and by the time it became a raging fire no one could put it out by the way what do you make of that narrative
2: i think i think that's a very uh, cogent and accurate moment because You know, you look back at the house that Roger built, and Fox since ninety-six had done amazing things. They had spent eight years at war with Barack Obama, and their greatest fear was a president Jeb Bush. Mm -hmm. Their greatest fear was a president Marco Rubio. Mm -hmm. And they thrived on this sense of controversy and 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 outrage, and they fed their audience. And so did Talk Radio and Breitbart and all these other people in that constellation that make up the populist right-wing media enterprise. And that, that enterprise needs an enemy because they had trained everybody to say, your heroes are never perfect. Good is never good enough. The best is the enemy of the good. The perfect is the enemy of the best. And, and so... You know, it it led to heroes like Ted Cruz in their minds, and Ted Cruz, you know, was was ideologically pure. He was going to be the guy for Fox, and they weren't happy about it. I don't think Roger was ever happy about it. But by that point, Roger was on the downside of his mm-hmm. career. You know, Rupert is very, very, very up in years now, mm-hmm. and while James and Lachlan are not. Rupert's politics. They're also not in a position to blow up billions of shareholder value mm-hmm. with a very successful cable network. When they saw that Trump was driving the ratings and the engagement on social and everything else, that investment went all in. And But it wasn't just saw. Fox. Oh, no. oh, I mean, I write MSNBC, yeah,
1: no. CNN, they gave them over I $2 billion in... yeah. of free advertising. John, you're
2: absolutely right. I write about this in the book. The, the they darkened the sky for everybody else. And I, I tell the story in the book where one of the people who worked for one of the other campaigns, they had set up a big, important speech. And they had gotten a you know, they, buy-in from the networks, from CNN, Fox, and, and, uh, and MSN to come and live cover major policy announcements, major, major speech. And this guy, and he had been we had actually disagreed on a lot of things. For, for a while, you know, about you know, Trump, Trump and populism and whatnot, he kept thinking Trump was just going to blow up and that would be that, and they would be the nominee. I don't, I don't want to identify who it is because he's now inside that world. He's in the matrix, as I say. But he called me in an absolute state of rage, and he goes, every camera here in our event is dark because the networks, all three of them, are, following, are, are watching live Trump's plain circle To land at an event That doesn't start for two hours Right,
1: yeah I believe it totally And uh, I think that played a a major role in this But at some point though He had to get votes And the part of this that I am still mystified by And I would love to get your uh, take on Is I am uh, totally baffled As to how a lifelong uh, Manhattan liberal Mm -hmm. Like Donald Trump could understand and manipulate the Republican base better than any of us could ever understand. I mean, I, I like you, have spent many, many years you know, as a talk sure. radio host. Uh, I'm going to events, talking to people on the phone. And let's, let's face it. I always knew there were elements of the base that were nutty. All right. Mm-hmm. There was no, there's always been no question that there was some nutty elements to it. But even I, who I felt like I had my finger closer to the pulse than most people, had no idea how batshit crazy yeah. a, a good portion of the base is. Were you as surprised that the base was as different uh, than, uh, than from what we thought it was? I, was I thought, thought
2: it was 5% of the base. It turned out to be about 20 Maybe more than that. Maybe like. more. Maybe a more. Lot, look, a lot of, a lot of Republicans... Um, Look at birtherism. Right, I mean, birtherism really is the touchstone of that. Yeah, and and I'm proud to be one of the first consultants in the country. In 08, this started making the rounds a lot, and there was a super PAC group, or or, or, or it was a PAC at the time, that wanted me to do an ad. I'm like, guys, before you dig in on this, let me have my researcher make a couple phone calls Mm. because this is the craziest story I've ever heard. So I had my researcher make some phone calls. Calls me back and says, "Uh, Yeah, I called a a person we've used in Hawaii before and he went down and got the microfiche and there's a birth announcement and the state verifies there's a birth certificate. Mm -hmm. He's like, Okay, this is bullshit. It's stupid. Right, but without the details of the birtherism, I, still, so, so, right. so we but, we know it's bullshit. But, although, right. but, but that should have been an early warning sign that twenty five percent of the Republican Party believe that, and still to this day, the numbers are around fifteen percent who believe Barack Obama is a Kenyan Muslim sleeper agent.
1: And it, and if you change the question, it's much higher than that. Correct. I, I mean, and it, be, so to me, I mean, and by the way, just to be clear on the
2: birtherism, I actually think Obama wanted that issue he out there. I've written about out it. Out I've written about it before. He loved having the Republican Party marginalize itself and look like a bunch of goddamn crazy people. Well, but it turned. It didn't work
1: out too well in the end because no. I, without birtherism, there's no Trump. Let's be clear about right. that. Birtherism is how he got the street cred. And you know why? With, with the crazy.
2: Roger had been Trump, Stone had been trying to talk Trump into running for president for 25 right. years. And he'd always get him to tease it. And he'd always convince Trump Well, you'll have fun. You'll get your name up there. People will talk about you It'll help the business and Trump would always do an event or two and you know tease it well When Roger put birtherism on his plate and I've been told by several people close to Trump This was absolutely Roger's baby with him Mm -hmm. Roger will deny it I'm sure but I've, I've been told by a number of people that this was you know, the, thing that, the one thing that had lit Trump up on politics like nothing else. He loved it. He loved it. He thought it was the greatest issue ever. And so becoming the birther in chief mm-hmm. was, for Trump, um, a stage setter for a lot of these people. And that led to him being on Fox every damn week and constantly being in the media spotlight, which is really the, Trump's only product, really, is Trump. Right. Um,
1: so do you think that it's Roger Stone who is the person who understood the craziness
2: of the base and it, that effectively Stone is Trump's brain? Well, I think, Trump, I, I think Trump depended on Stone for a long time. I think Roger's been put in, put in Siberia. All okay, so then how does Trump understand the base so much? I don't, I don't think he understands anything except this feedback loop he gets from Fox. And they understand the base and they're feeding them what they want. I think, he, I think he's got a, a, a paranoid inkling to his, to his mindset, a paranoid direction to his mindset. I think he's got, uh, and, and here's the thing, the base is shrinking. I mean, Trump doesn't understand, say, college-educated Republican women. You know what word is now out of that phrase? Republican. Well, like, when ed-
1: I say the yeah. base, I'm talking about what I call Colt 45. I yeah,
2: mean, the Colt, for- listen, we also have to have some hard self-examination about the base itself, and there are people who are not conservative. They are statist. They are not you know, small government libertarians. They are authoritarian. But they how surprised
1: from- were you, Rick, that, that it was so different? The base was so different, however you define it. It was so different than what we thought it was.
2: Well, the shock of it uh, was was pretty strong. And the reason I, I, I don't ascribe all this great wisdom and insight and 3D chess to Trump is that on election night, Trump's people, every one of them. Thought like, they lost. Yeah. Every one of them. I was getting phone calls from Trump's people. Every reporter I knew was getting phone calls from Kellyanne and Steve Bannon and Reince Priebus and Corey Lewandowski. Every single one of them was like, this guy is a goddamn crazy person. Thank God this is over. Let's go have a steak dinner. I have great stories to tell you. Right. They thought they'd lost. we didn't see the Russians stoking this stuff underneath the radar screen. We didn't see the, 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 them driving up this paranoia and this anxiety and this tension and this racial animus. we didn't see how American you know Americans who really 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 would like to have a race war and really really would like to have you know a, a government that doesn't look uh, that, that, that doesn't look like. America. They'd rather have it look like the founders um, and these alt-right idiots and all these other people. We didn't understand the confluence of all these things running together. I understood that Hillary was a terrible candidate from the beginning. I'd seen her up close when he did Giuliani's race in 2000. And if Rudy hadn't gotten prostate cancer and a girlfriend at the same time, history would be really different. That inflection point, if Rudy had won that race for Senate against Hillary, We'd be in a totally different world now. I mean, the counterfactuals and alternate histories are great, sure. but I saw how terrible she was. When Rudy dropped out of the race right. and they replaced, her with, replaced him with Rick Lazio, even then, Hillary wasn't assured of a, of a smashing victory. Now, she sure. won it because Lazio was an abysmal candidate, nice guy, terrible candidate, but every time she had a tough race, she lost. Barack Obama <laughs> took her head off. No, I agree with
1: all that, but... And, but Going to what happened in 2016, you seem to imply there that you think that Russia did potentially impact the outcome.
2: Where do you stand on it? I believe they impacted the social climate outcome. I have yet to see evidence that they hacked a voting database in order to do something on election day. Well, that
1: wouldn't have to be that way,
2: right? They could, and there is evidence that they tweaked registration databases or accessed them at the least, but. Their information warfare campaign had a meaningful impact on this country.
1: This issue of Russia's influence, I have a theory that when you look at her depressed numbers in Wisconsin and Michigan, you can at least argue that Russia caused Trump to win those states. It still doesn't get him to or her to an Electoral College victory. But what do you make of that potential theory?
2: Well, look, I think that we know from what the intelligence community has reported. We know from what Facebook has told us they were very active the russian bot army and troll army they were very active in those states and they were active both to cause racial division to turn down democratic turnout and to increase pro trump sentiment and turnout so i think that i think that those things represented a thumb on the scale and in a close election any thumb on the on the scale matters anybody who who thinks that you know it doesn't matter if, if a foreign power that's hostile to this country is playing in our elections on either side is wrong, they got a good thing coming. And this this is a this is a dereliction of 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 Trump's you know sworn duty now to, to be honest about this and to protect this country. They've they've shut down the elections reform bill that would have added some cybersecurity protections against things like what Russia did. And I think you know, again, it's a, if you're in a close race in states that she was taking for granted, and I don't know who the Russians had sherpa their data around, or, or who they had counseling them on where to target, but that to me is the biggest mystery I'd love to have solved. Well, who helped them target that stuff? And I'm wondering if there's an American political consultant who has deep ties to Russia named Paul Manafort, who might be part of that equation.
1: You know, obviously Manafort would be the, the first suspect, but I've always found it interesting that some of Steve Bannon's comments mm-hmm. about depressing her turnout
2: mm-hmm. <clears throat>
1: dovetail exactly with what the Russians did. You
2: mean Steve Bannon on the board of Cambridge Analytica, one of the tools that was used in this election? Yeah, that would be, that would be something. That would be, that'd be a remarkable uh, coincidence. What,
1: what, he, what is your theory, Rick, on w- what the Mueller investigation is going to find with regard to specifically collusion? and in uh, Russia.
2: Well, I think they're going to find that there was conspiracy, which the word collusion has become sort of a trope of the Trump world, and and it sounds a little more delicate, it sounds a little more ephemeral than conspiracy, but I think they're going to be able to show that there was a conspiracy between the Trump campaign and senior officials on that campaign including his family members to work with the Russians in order to gain uh, uh, Ill- illegally access data and advantage. Uh, and political advantage against Hillary Clinton. And all this other smokescreen that the president and his media enablers throw up every day about the deep state and Bob Mueller and angry Democrats, all this stuff, it's just crap. Mueller's working methodically, he's working carefully, he's working slowly. It's it, the depth of their knowledge on what happened you know, I've been around this the, the, the world long enough to know that when they're making intelligence cases, a lot of the times they already know what they need to know. But they know it from sources that can't be busted out and have and revealed. So they build a case around other data and information to get to it. You know, I, I would I would imagine Bob Mueller has seen all the email and phone traffic already from what happened before that Trump Tower meeting. I would imagine he knows exactly when Roger Stone actually talked to Grucifer 2 and all the data and the real thing and not the spin. So I think he's going to find that there was direct contact and collusion. I think we're also going to discover that Donald Trump's financial ties to the Russians, which are outlined in Craig Unger's excellent new book, and that I was talking to people about in 2015 and early 2016, go way, way back. The guy has, the guy has been a um, the guy's been in the orbit of these uh, Russian uh, oligarchs and mobsters for a very long time. Their ties there are much deeper than he's admitted, and, and we're going to see, I think at the end of the day, that Americans are going to be shocked what they've been lied to about by this guy.
1: I agree with everything you just said there except about Americans being shocked. Um, I, I think we're numb. And I think that uh, 35 to 40% of the population has tuned this out uh, because they don't want to hear the conclusions of it. Uh, again, talking about mostly the Trump slash Republican base. So while uh, I am convinced that Trump is quote unquote guilty to some degree, what exact degree we don't know yet, um, by the way, part, part of the reason I'm convinced that Trump is guilty is, if, and I'm curious about your take on this psychology. Right. So. so Mueller is a lifelong Republican who has now been fully embraced by the liberal establishment. I mean, they think, they think Robert Mueller is Superman, right? I actually think liberals' expectations of Mueller are completely out of control and they're going to be potentially very disappointed. But that's, that's the reality. The liberal establishment has embraced Mueller. Mueller is Trump's lifeline to pure exoneration if he's innocent. And right. yet, Trump is just trying to attack Mueller at every opportunity.
2: That's a Donald, guilty man. Donald Trump, it, right? Every behavior Donald Trump displays is not of an innocent man. Right. Every behavior Donald Trump displays is of a guy who, you know, this isn't just you get caught. You get caught, you know, screwing your girlfriend. It's you get caught screwing your girlfriend. You're in the hotel with her ears, her ankles around your ears, and your wife's standing there going, "What's going on?" And you're trying to say, uh, "No, not what it looks like. No, this is what it looks like." And the, the the bigger problem for Trump, past trying to kill off Mueller, is he is opening himself up to one layer of legal jeopardy after another. The obstruction problem is a crime. Obstruction of justice is a crime. And he continues. And this whole admission by Rudy this week, you know, that, that oh, yeah, we talked about whether we should pardon Manafort if it looks good or not, so he'll get the... I mean, these guys are walking themselves into the jaws of legal jeopardy every day.
1: But here's where I think we're going to differ, Rick.
2: And I'm really
1: curious to get your take on this. Uh, We're not in a legal realm. This is a political realm. okay? And so, I I believe that the facts aren't going to matter here. I, I don't think the law is going to matter. This is a purely, when it comes to the president, when it comes to impeachment, when it comes to potential removal from office, It is almost a purely political matter, and I do not see a path. I do not see a path where Trump ever
2: gets removed from office. I have said this a hundred times. Impeachment is the highest mountain in American political life. It is so close to impossible. That even if we weren't... To as be p- clear, removal. Not impeachment, but right. re- removal. A, a conviction lot, I, in the Senate... Which I think Trump, by the it.
1: way, doesn't even understand the difference no. based, based upon his terminology. But. Uh, look, he's a man
2: who's easily overcome by inanimate objects. He <laughs> definitely doesn't understand the difference. But reaching conviction in the Senate... I mean, look, Trump in the Senate, real talk... Has about eight or 10 people who are real Trumpers and they love him and they'll set their ass on fire for him. The rest are sort of like, eh, we'll just muddle through. Two thirds is still impossible to get to. I mean, show me a map where you get two thirds of the Senate. Even if we hold the Senate right now where we're at, which is, you know, unlikely, we're going to lose at least a seat, in my view. We're not going to pick up. We're going to pick up Florida, I think, but we're not going to pick up Missouri or West Virginia. They, are—I mean, they're, they're jerking themselves off if they think that's going to happen. There's no map to two-thirds in the Senate. Even if tomorrow Donald Trump said, yeah, I took the Russians' money. I'm fucking up America. I'm doing it because I work for Vladimir Putin. It's still hard to get to two-thirds. They're, those people are terrified of his base. They are terrified. So then you agree with me, as long as he keeps Fox News... Yep. And therefore, keeps the base. Yep. Trump will never be removed. He will not be removed from office for Russia-related matters. Now, obstruction and criminality—that could change some stuff, but I don't think so. Um, but I think it's—I think there is a greater likelihood Trump either doesn't run again or, or or leaves early because he's got medical issues or because he's crazy. And I, See, I, I actually believe. I
1: actually think. That in in a bizarre way, that all of this increases the chances he has to run for re-election because he views the presidency
2: as protection. As protection. Yes, I agree. I agree. And there are, you know, even if you take the the argument, and it is not by any means a settled argument, that you can't indict the president. Um, he may be open to legal exposure after the presidency. Right. A so he's
1: not going to decide, you know what, I'm going into private sector and lose the protection of right. everybody. Right. I mean, he, he's in a far more vulnerable position, not just because he's not president, but now Fox no longer has any, any dog in the hunt and protecting him. So, Correct. So let's let's game plan this out there just so people understand it. Because a lot of people might think, well, Richard Nixon may not even have done nearly as much as, as Trump did, uh, and he was forced to resign. And I, and I say, well, hold on a second. The world's very different. Uh, Richard Nixon had no Fox News Channel. Uh, oh. And Richard Nixon had Barry Goldwater. He said, look, it's over. And I think it's, it's very poignant and sad that we're talking on the day when John McCain has announced that he is uh, no longer going to be seeking medical treatment because John McCain is not going to be around for this battle. No. And John McCain was, you know, happens to be in the Barry Goldwater seat. And while a lot of people disagree with a lot of things about John McCain. You cannot argue he doesn't have character. And he would have been the guy to stay he would have been the Barry Goldwater of this thing. And he's not going to be around. And Mitt Romney is not going to be enough. If you had McCain, then if, if you had McCain, then you have Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham's gonna be worthless without McCain around. And and Mitt Romney alone is not gonna be enough to convince anybody on the right to give up the ship on Trump. So am I am I right about the importance of the McCain
2: health? To this. The McCain, the John, uh, there's a great counterfactual and a friend of mine who's also very close to John and we were talking about this just this morning and he said, imagine if John McCain was healthy right now for the last year. Imagine the hell he would have brought down on Donald Trump every day. Imagine the way he would have stiffened the spines of other people in the Senate who are afraid. And And, and John, I will tell you, the number one emotion of any elected official when you ask them about Donald Trump honestly and privately is fear. They're terrified of the base. They're terrified he's going to turn Fox against them. They're terrified of, of Breitbart and, and all the crazies and all the comment section weirdos coming out. They're afraid of the death threats. They're afraid of the, of the, the climate Donald Trump can, can turn their lives into. They can turn into a shower of shit in one minute if he tweets about them. They are petrified. And, you know, look, politicians are rarely brave people. These guys right now are are so shell-shocked by Trump and so afraid of him that, you know, a guy like John McCain, who has faced shit bigger than Donald Trump will ever be and has ever been in terms of tests of character and strength and personal endurance, you know, there aren't a lot of those guys in the Senate. Well,
1: and I'm a big believer that the cowards need cover. And and McCain, along with a Romney and maybe a Lindsey Graham, would have been able to provide that cover. That cover is not going to exist. And then you know, and and it's you know, amazing the unbelievable luck that Trump continues to have. Charles Krauthammer is another guy that provided cover on Fox, and he's gone now.
2: So so there's nobody left. I mean, the, the, the 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 primacy of Fox News. I joke in the book about it being the fourth branch of government. The primacy of Fox News and Republicans media diet is is beyond understanding for people who aren't from the movement. They don't get it. That if it's on Fox, it becomes truth for them, no matter how kooky it is. I mean, they there are people who watch Sean Hannity and go, oh, well, of course Bob Mueller is secretly conspiring with Hillary Clinton. Well, that's that makes perfect sense, even though it's ludicrous in every possible axis. Um, but, you know, Nothing is going to stop these guys from, from hiding in the tall grass except pain, electoral pain. And some of these guys are going to finally figure out after November that there's a market benefit to being a first mover against Trump. There's, there's a market benefit if he's going to be a drag on Republicans up and down the ticket. Remember, in 2020, we have, we have the bad cycle for the Senate. We've got the 23 seats up in 2020, and a lot of those aren't easy lifts. A lot of those are in states that that are not R plus 15. It ain't Alabama. So,
1: so is. i forgive me if you've stated this because I may have missed it or forgotten it because a lot of people are on on the in this boat, and I'm one of them. I, I believe that a, a Republican conscience must bite the bullet and vote Democrat this November. Are you
2: in that boat? I am. I'm in the boat where where I think that there are enough options for Republicans around the country on a state-by-state, case-by-case basis. Look, I can can name two or three Democrats that are to the right of their Republican opponent on economic issues. I'm not even talking about right-left. I'm just talking about pure oversight
1: uh, in the House. I'm not talking about in the House. The House of Representatives. I'm voting for a Democrat for the first time in my life who's, I think, a lesbian uh, uh, in a a competitive district here in California, and and I don't like it, but I feel like it's the only choice I have,
2: because there needs to be oversight. Well, I I think that the Republican Congress has bought this problem. Look, Paul Ryan is a guy I've known and admired for many, many years. He basically said to Devin Nunez and all these other guys, do what you want. We will not perform our constitutional duty. They have abandoned their oath, and if people abandon their oath, then people who will stick by that oath deserve to be elected. And and so, what do you make of people like me? Then look, I think you're making a perfectly rational decision, and and I, you know, people have asked me this question a lot, and I'm conflicted about it on some levels. You know, so in some days I, I almost want to say, you know, maybe Nancy Pelosi should have a one vote margin. You know, maybe, maybe in, in, if, you could, if you could tweak it just the right way. By the way, that's, that might happen. It's not out of the question. I mean, look, the, the, if, if this were President Jeb Bush with economy, the economy looking like it is right now, or President Ted Cruz, mm-hmm. or President Marco Rubio, or President Scott Walker, or President Carly Fiorina, mm-hmm. we probably would be in the rare midterm where you don't really lose many seats. Right. Because the economy is, you know, bubbled up on this big wave of QE from the Fed over the last 10 years and bubbled up by the tax bill stimulative effect. You know, they, they wouldn't be in a bad situation. But now we're modeled out where we may lose 40 seats. So you agree that the Democrats are likely to win the House and you think they're going to win the Senate? I think it's going to be really close in the Senate. I think we, we could even tie up. Um, I don't think they're going to pick up a lot of these seats. They think they're going to pick up. I don't think they're going to. We're going to I don't think Republicans are Republicans going to pick up West Virginia. I don't think they're going to pick up um, uh, Montana. I don't think they're going to pick up Missouri. How
1: confident are you that, that uh, Democrats win the House?
2: Quite. I mean, I, I I've seen some of the numbers that the NRC is dealing with, and it, that that is a group of people who are there. The mood is funereal. They are they're they're looking at R plus five seats now as as Screaming siren danger zone seats. They're looking at R plus 10 seats where they used to look at, you know, uh, look at as they're looking at those, as, some of those are even at risk. Mm-hmm. So the model of the 24 seats that Democrats need, they've got about seven different pathways where they can get there based on wins. There's only a couple places Republicans look like they could pick up seats Minnesota, of all places, just because the weird electoral chemistry there. Um, where Democrats held these rural seats for a long time, but they kind of, you know, become more red over time.
1: Um, I was arguing with, and I have this continual argument with a friend of mine who's a Democratic Congressman, John Yarmuth, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, was a real good guy, uh, and, I, I, and I don't want to speak for him, but I, I know that there's a huge argument in the Democratic base, uh, caucus, about... Uh, how many seats Pelosi will cost them. And uh, I, I think it's at least 5 to
2: 15. Uh, look, Nancy Pelosi, and I've had this, I've, you know, a lot of a lot of people on social media are like, why do you hate Nancy Pelosi? I'm like, look, as a Republican strategist, I don't hate Nancy Pelosi. I love what she does for the Republican base. They, I mean, I've, I've probably made 50 TV ads over the last 10 years of Nancy Pelosi and saying, Democratic congressman so-and-so, just like Nancy Pelosi, is this, this, and this. And Republicans eat it up with a spoon. They love it. It's
1: really amazing to think that in 2012, Newt Gingrich partially had his campaign for president destroyed by sitting on a bench with Nancy Pelosi. And and Donald Trump, four years later, had been writing checks to her like a (laughs) madman. It's crazy. The whole thing is crazy. But in the remaining minutes that we have, like... The part of this whole fiasco that pisses me off, maybe more than anything else, is that here's my vision of the future. I think we're going to lose the House, uh, maybe not by a huge margin this time. I think the Senate's in peril, certainly in 2020. If Trump runs a reelection, it's gone um, because of the numbers. But I think that's just the beginning. I think we have set ourselves up. For the biggest backlash of my of my life, maybe in American history, mm-hmm. and we have simultaneously, while setting ourselves up for a backlash, a liberal socialist backlash, we have destroyed any weapons we have to combat that backlash. The filibuster is gone. Our yep. credibility is gone. The, the credibility of our media is gone. We have. Sold out all of our principles to Trump. We will have no weapons to combat Correct. this backlash when it happens. The, but am I
2: right? The, you, I completely agree. The handful of people that will, will be credible in the future Are guys like us who were Trump skeptics who said wait a minute guys wait, what, Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure this is where we need to go? And even then the rebuilding process is going to be slow it's gonna be painful. It's gonna require But but the demographics aren't gonna allow it. Right. That's that's the problem. Is if you wanna if you wanna look at the future, look how millennials are registering. You know what it used to be? It used to be basically young people were pretty democratic. They'd either register Democrat or Independent, and about 25% would register Republican. You know what it is this year? In three states that I just looked at? Eight. Eight. It's not voter, gonna get any better. Early voter behavior determines later voter behavior. Um Hispanics, bye. I mean, the Hispanics, the great focus group that we came out of in 16, late in 16, and a Cuban guy, Republican, is like, I'm not going to vote for Trump because he insults Hispanics all the time. And Now, in Florida's weird political chemistry, the Cubans hate the Mexicans, and the Puerto Ricans hate the Cubans, and the Cubans hate the Puerto Ricans, and it's just like inter, inter, inter-team warfare, right? And, and the moderator said, well, but you're Cuban and you're a U.S. citizen. He goes, no, no, no. He treats all Hispanics this way, all of us this way. And it struck me really hard because that's what Hispanics hear when he talks about Mexico. And when he, when he, when he lets Puerto Ricans die,
0: right.
2: those U.S. citizens, they, they, they are a, they, we've polled it in Florida, they hate him with the fire of a thousand suns. But,
1: well, which doesn't vote well for him winning in 2020,
2: but I, I'm convinced that the Democrats are going to blow their nominating process like we did in 2016. I, I, they, the Democrats have a great propensity for, for taking an easy layup shot and blowing it over and over again. Yeah, but,
1: but just to finish the other point yeah. about where we're headed here. So you tend to, it seems like you agree with me that we're, we're in a doomsday scenario whether it's 5, 10, 15 years from now, where we're going to end up with total socialism with no way to, to, to put the, the oh, yeah. any guess, restrictions guess on what, it. Guess what
2: happens after, after they take the House and the Senate? Donald Trump has to veto single-payer health care about five times in a row. Which he's not going to do, by the way. No, he won't. Well, actually, he, he will He will sign it. Of course he will But because, look, Donald Trump knows his base. Right, and he knows that they basically right now depend on Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, okay. and disability. So we're headed. Trump is going to usher in socialism at least ten to twenty
1: years before it would have happened otherwise. And yet, none of his base are going to
2: blame him for it when it happens. No, it'll all be oh, the Rhinos compromised. It wasn't. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly. That's what's so frustrating about and, it. And and I will. So there's you, no path. There's
1: no path
2: to, to surviving. The only path to survival. Is if we have a hard break and we produce at some point and I don't this is just pie in the sky, right? This is just just argue window at some break at some point we have we discover a limited government charismatic figure from entertainment or sports or media or somewhere that stands up and becomes a champion and reconfigures the party much like Obama reconfigured the Democratic Party, you know, this out of nowhere wild card superstar. I don't see that person on the horizon. I couldn't name that person if you put a gun to my head. But Well, before they're... Trump,
1: I thought Tiger Woods was eliminated. But no, post-Trump, Tiger might be right back in the mix. His, right? his I mean, scandals aren't that he bad. He a
2: couple more girlfriends in public, you know, <laughs> with strippers or whatever. But, you yeah, know, it might work out.
1: <laughs> well, well, Rick, uh, thanks so much for your time. Absolutely. Uh, make sure you get the book uh, Everything Trump Touches Dies. And, uh, and thanks so much for being a voice of reason in these unreasonable times. I'm glad we made this work. Thank you, my friend. Thanks again for uh, Rick for taking the time it was he's a very very busy guy these days and I, I hope that you enjoyed that the conversation as much as I did since I um, happened to mention Tiger Woods there at the end which I was certainly was not anticipating I guess this is as good a time as any to, to mention that uh, since the last time we spoke Tiger Woods almost won a major championship it didn't come that close but certainly gave a lot of excitement at the PGA which would have been uh, contrary to my prediction that uh, the only major championship where he really has a legitimate chance is the British Open, uh, I was uh, quite thrilled to see Tiger make that run at the PGA. I was surprised, especially considering the way that he started. He started that tournament uh, horrendously. He was a three over par through two holes, and then he changed his shirt. And I, I'm convinced that if someone uh, went to the porta potty, where he changed his shirt on the third hole at the uh, PGA Championship, that if they look carefully, they might have found Clark Kent's glasses. I'm I'm pretty sure that there was a, a major change, not just in, in his shirt, but it seems almost like he uh, turned into Superman at that point. Uh, although not enough to to beat Brooks Kepka, who just looks awesome at this point. Uh, here's the thing about Tiger. And by the way, uh, with reference to what I said to, to Rick, I you know I was mostly joking. Way back, I used to think that Tiger was going to be president someday. You know, back in my KFI uh, Los Angeles days, I used to to semi-joke about this all the time. Then, of course, the scandal happened. But one of the few good things about the Trump era is that Tiger scandals no longer seem significant at all. I mean, really, in fact, they might actually be qualifications for president. So, you know, I'm going to keep an open mind. Now the Tiger's more likable and made a comeback. And I, I actually think that, uh, you know what, that's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, hell, nothing's out of the realm of possibility after Trump's your president. So, uh, you know, let's just keep that uh, hope in mind, uh, you know, for, for 10, 15 years from now. But with regard to, to Tiger, the player, uh, I know I'm always the the, the pessimist. But uh, And it's amazing what he's done. His comeback has been insane. It's been way better than I ever anticipated it being. It's maybe the most remarkable uh, thing he's ever done in his career. In some ways, that PGA Championship was one of the most remarkable performances of his entire career, even though he didn't win. But he's still 42. He's going to be 43 by the next time he plays in a major championship. Yes, next year's schedule seemingly plays well for him but there are just so many good players now, and they are so young, and they hit the ball so far, and the the number of things that have to come together for him to win are so almost astronomical, and let's face it, he's only got a handful of chances left. I mean, at 43, <laughs> I mean, we're in a very young era. It's, I mean, he might already be past his prime. I mean, I I, I got the overwhelming sense that that the PGA might have been what should have been Jack Nicklaus's 1986 Masters, except fate never accounted for Brooks Kepka. That's what it felt like to me. I think there's a possibility we're going to look back and go, oh, that was it. That was the one. That was. That's what could have been the last miracle to go out on. I hope I'm wrong, but I, that's my sense of it. Anyway, uh, make sure you go out and get uh, Rick Wilson's book, and please check out hour number one, our news hour, and hour number three, a really great interview regarding the two so-called Ohio State controversies. You will not want to miss. Plus, some uh, thoughts about the uh, the Catholic Church scandal. That's all in hour number three of the World According to Zig podcast. As always, I ask only two things of you. Number one, please share this via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who uh, sleeps and when you sleep, you use sheets, please pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee?
0: Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed, ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. (laughs) (laughs) Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.